once this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and uh, I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from the Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talk, talking all things sport in the city of Salford and beyond. Yeah, certainly I'm Rob. Yeah, it's another action-packed show again, isn't it? Plenty to talk about. So, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to having a chat, mate. Yeah, lots to go on. So we'll start with the Rugby League and the Sulphur Red Devils, Paul. Uh, Sulphur Red Devils' new signing, Tim Latifi, uh, is now in the country. It's a boost for Paul Rowley's men because Sulphur's uh, centres are either injured or suspended. So it's great to have another body in that position. Yes, it certainly is. And from the sound of it, I don't know a lot about him. I don't watch as much NRL as I should have done, but he's quite an established player over there, or has been. So, um, yeah, I think he'll, uh, he'll prove to be a good sign. And as you say, we've got you know, Callum Watkins is... He's recovering from injury and Dan Sargison's still... I think Dan Sargison will be back soon, though. I think he's he's more or less done his, his ban now, so he should be OK for the start of the season. So we've got Dan coming back. Yeah, but it's another another option. Our squad's not the biggest, as we mentioned before, so he's definitely going to bolster the squad. And, uh, and yes, yeah, seems a very, very useful signing. Yeah, ex-Cantory Bulldogs, ex-St. George Illawarra. Um, so he has um, Australian experience. He kicked goals as well. He's played. He played 170 times the NRL. He scored 50 tries and kicked 26 goals. He's also a Samoan inter- international as well, Paul. So he has class, and he'll certainly add a lot to that Salford squad. Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I believe from what I've read about him, he's a good defender as well. Very solid player. You know, a very fit lad as well. So um, he's going to come over, and, and and don't forget, he's going to bring a lot of experience as well from the NRL. You know, to uh, to hand over to the, the younger players in our side. So I think it's a it's a good signing all round. Um, I think we're getting a quality player there who's who's proven at a high level, and um, you know his experience and, and, and attitude is going to uh, you know work well in the Super League. So I think he's going to be a really good sign and a good asset to the squad, and um, and yeah, a useful, a very useful player to have around the place. Does he make the starting 17 for Salford? Obviously, with injuries and things like that, um, you know, it, it gives him opportunity. But with a full squad, uh, do you think he makes that starting 17? I think it depends how he goes. I think when you're a new player like that, or any player for that for that, for the matter, you can only do what you can do. So when you get, you have to wait for your chance. And then when you get your chance, you take it with both hands, don't you? And, and make that that place yours. Um, you know, if he's not straight into the, the starting lineup, his way of impressing Paul Roll is going to be in training. So he's got to do his best in training. He's got to work absolutely, you know, overtime in training, chain the house down and, and impress Paul Roll and get that chance. And then when he gets his chance, he's got to take it. And that's that's what you want as a coach. Or want that. You know, we want his players to be, you know, running through brick walls to get in that first first lineup, and I think supporters crave that. You, you want to have competition for places. You don't want players to be resting on the laurels every week. So, so I don't know whether he's going to make the team or not. I think that's up to him. He's got to come over here and, and come for the right reasons, which I'm sure he has done. He's come here to prove himself at Super League, and um, you know, wish him all the best. And let's hope he can. Yeah, he's Salford have a very strong backline, Paul. Uh, the forwards, obviously, the signing of Alex, Alex Gerrard has improved the uh, the size of the the pack. Uh, but for me, they're still seeing a little bit of light. Um, Paul Rowley has said that there's, there was no one, there's no one to come in, but he did say that before Alex Gerrard turned up. So we're not quite sure uh, where where Alex Gerrard sits in that in that scenario. But you're hoping, obviously, as the season goes on, uh, and other players may come available that will be interested in in picking a few more up to bolster that squad. 
Yeah, I suppose a lot of it's down to financial restrictions, isn't it, and, and things like that, if we've got enough money to, to sign people. Um, I don't think, I think you're right what you say, I, I think the back line is, is pretty well covered, really, in the three quarters we're pretty covered, at half-back we've got plenty of cover, got a couple of lads who can play full-back, um, we've got a few lads who can play at hooker. I think, for me, it's prop forwards, I think we're a bit light in the front row, really. I think the second row, we, we're not too bad, we, we, we've got a fair amount of players who can play in the back row, so for me, yeah, it's that grunt up front. You need that aggressive sort of runners up up front. You know that we, we've not got Lee Moss up anymore. You know the big Seb who we had last season's gone back to Woodersfield. So they're they're two blokes that that were big men that had that that goal forward in them. And I think you're always on the lookout for somebody like that if somebody comes available. You never have enough big men in your pack, I don't think. And I think if somebody like that came along, Porole would be definitely interested. But you've just got to go with what you've got now. I think that there's plenty in that squad to. Uh, to have a good crack at Super League, no doubt about that. Yep. Other news regarding Salford, uh, Paul, they've announced a partnership with the Ghana uh, Rugby League Federation and they've brought out a merchandise to celebrate that. It's kind of a Salford uh, T-shirt, a bit like a training T-shirt, but with a Ghana flag on the right right arm of the shirt I think it's great the club and the Ghana's Rugby League Federation have got this link together now because it helps development of the, the Rugby League in Ghana gives them you know uh, equipment allows them to develop coaches and players uh, and it's great that Salford are doing their bit uh, to, to help develop Ghana Rugby League Yeah definitely I think it's a great thing you know you think about you know where Ghana is and the continent of, of, of Africa and things like that, the place it is in the world, it's a massive place, um, a massive sort of catchment of people. And if we can spread our name and, and help people as well and, you know, educate them with rugby league and, you know, partnership with them, I think it's a great thing. I really do. It spreads the name of Salford. It helps people out. And, um, you know, that's an untapped area for rugby league, isn't it? So, yeah, so it's a great initiative and um, a real positive piece of news, really. And, you know, the, the shirt that they brought out, the merchandise as well, the training top, I've seen it. It's, it's very, very good. And, um, yeah, just a great, great feel-good story, really. When I saw the picture of um, the players over in Ghana wearing the shirt, the Salford shirt. It, it made me feel really proud, really, that our club... You know, let's have it right, Salford's not the biggest club in this country. We're not like a superpower with loads of money, but yet we're, we're doing these these things to help people out. And I think that's really good for the club and um, just shows you we are a, a really good community club and, you know, everybody along in the club, you know, really buys into it and, and whatever. So, uh, no, I, th- I thought it was a really positive story and you don't often hear stories like that. So it made me feel proud. Yeah, they've also got links uh, to Wales rugby, rugby League as well, as well as local teams as well uh, in the amateur scene and it's fantastic that that Salford have these uh, sort of connections with 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 various different organizations it helps develop both players and the administration side as well and, and I think uh, if we are if we want Salford to be uh, kind of the premier rugby league uh, club in the area it's great we're able to do that uh, and and obviously give, sort of develop talent and, and improve them and improve the state of rugby league as it is too yeah I, I think so Rob I think that's what you've got to do you, you want to build the club and build the 
build the crowd and people who follow the club, the more people you've got involved with it, the better. I mean, one example of that is is the ladies' team. I mean, you look at that, you've got the ladies involved now. They're playing, they feel part of it. You know, their, their families are going to get involved as well. So they're all playing under the banner of Salford Red Devils. So I think it's absolutely tremendous that. And there's, um, you know, in the pipeline, there's a disability team as well, a learning disability team. And I think it's absolutely marvellous that you can get these all these people playing rugby league for Salford, representing Salford. You're playing for Salford, whether you're playing for the first team, the reserves, the under-16s, or you're playing for the ladies, you're representing the badge and the great badge and the great history of Salford Rugby League Club. So I, I think it's great. And the more people we can get involved, the better. Because that's the model Paul King promotes. He promotes the community side. And it's important, obviously, the people of Salford who are listening to this at home on Salford's radio get behind the club and, and get down to the AJ Bell Stadium, watch the match, buy the merchandise, put money into the club and help it grow. It certainly is, yeah. I mean, the, the club, the city, it, it needs support. It needs you. I mean, as I said before, it, we're not like the most best supported club in, in in the world. We're not nowhere near compared to sort of Premier League football or anything like that. We've not washed with that sort of money. So we need help and and we need people to buy into it and support us. You know, that's what it's all about. So, uh, so yeah, these initiatives, I think, have been helping to grow. Paul King can't sing Paul's praises highly enough. I think he's done a tremendous job since he's been involved with Salford. And along with the rest of the board, he's got with him there, working well in the community. And There's a great feel to Salford at the moment. I feel that when I go to the games now, I feel proud again to go. There was a time when... I've always felt proud watching Solver, but there was a time where it wasn't a happy place to be, really, I didn't think. And it it does feel like that again now. And um, and it can only get better. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good time to be a supporter. Yeah, the move, the possible move to the to Moorlane Stadium as well could happen as uh, season ticket holders being canvassed about their opinions. I think it's important uh, the fans get their views across in this uh, this. Uh, message from the club because obviously we want the club to succeed we want the club to grow uh, and I think obviously being at the AJ Bell Stadium uh, financially it is a problem for the club and if, if obviously the supporters do decide more like more lane is that the future uh, it'll help the club in many different ways it will it's, it's a very I don't think it's a cut and dried situation that I mean I've thought about it what I think is best for the club and I don't know I'm still unsure I'm still on the fence I mean I wouldn't want to talk out of turn and say it's a step backwards but the stadium that we're playing now is a fantastic stadium and what we don't want to do is go backwards and play somewhere that's not as good and I know there's factors into that with finances and things like that but I think the decision's got to be right for, for everybody it's got to be right for the club and and, you know, and the future of the club. And if, you know, if, if we can't stay at the AJ Bell Stadium, then obviously you, you've got to cut your cloth and you've got to go. But let's just make sure we think about it properly and, and the decisions made is the right one and we don't just rush it. So uh, I think there's an awful lot of thinking to be done about that. And uh, I'm sure the people in charge of the club and the supporters will, will come to the right decision and, we'll, and the, the right decision for Solver will be made. Yep, Salford's uh, final friendly of 2022 is away at Warrington Wolves. Lead Ostrich testimonial game. It's going to be exciting. It's an opportunity for Paul Rowley uh, to put his team out for the final time this pre-season. Find out the players who he thinks will get into that starting 17 against Castle in a couple of weeks' time. Exciting times for both supporters and players. And most of all, Lee Mossop as well. 
Well, yeah, if you're a player and you, you don't feel you've played sort of at your best yet in the first two uh, preseason games, you'll be looking at this game to really go out there and show, show Paul Rowley that you deserve a spot against Casford in that, that season opener. And this will be a tough game against uh, against Warrington as well. They've got a new coach, Daryl Powell's come in. He's brought a couple of players in with him from, from Castleford, some, some good players there. Uh, he's already got a very, very good squad at, at Warrington with some you know, seasoned internationals in it and a lot of talent there. And they're one of the favourites, aren't they? Bookmakers have got them up there with St. Helens to to, uh, to to win the Super League. So uh, there's an awful lot of pressure on them. So they'll want to perform and go into the season on the, the back of a win, won't they? I think we played them in pre-season last year, didn't we? And uh, that was a very competitive game. So, so yeah, it's a big game for, for Lee Mossop as well. It, you know, obviously, I don't leave what we play in the game. Whether he'll he'll kick the game off, I'm I'm not too sure. I hope he does, but um, you know, he deserves that testimony. He's been great servant to rugby league with his time at Wigan, his time at Salford as well. So uh, I hope there's a big crowd there and they they, they, they give him a good. Uh, I won't say send off because it's not like a funeral or something, is it? But you know, give him a good give him a good night because he's been a real tough pro and you know uh, very proud to have him play for our club. So it should be a good night, Warrington, and, and a big test as well for us. Yep, let's talk about our other side in the area, Swinton Lions. They are in Challenge Cup action uh, this weekend. They were away at West Wales and won 96 points to nil. Paul, what a, what a massive result uh, for, for Swinton there. Yeah, big big result in the Challenge Cup. There's been some um, been some shocks, I think, in the in the cup this this weekend. But Swinton obviously were favourites to go and uh, to go and win that game, and, and they did a, a big win for Swinton. I wasn't expecting them to win by that many, I must admit. But uh, but no, in a, in a way, it's a shame for West Wales. I mean, nobody wants to see scores like that really, unless you're the, the side that puts that score on. But no, it's got Swinton in the bag for the next round, which is is good for them. And you know, it sounds like they played really well. They've scored some good tries, and that's going to give them a real you know, real confidence. Boost. Isn't it going into uh, the, the next round of the cup? And obviously, you know, it's funny, really. I mean, you look at that that result, and you know, West Wales are in the same league as Swindon this season, so the, the teams are going to meet again. But no, they're through. They're in the hat for the next round. You know, Rochdale aren't got through as well. Another local side, Oldham went out there. They have a shock result for them. They were beating the home to uh, to Castleford Lock Lane. I'm at a side twenty two twelve, so that was a you know banana skin for them, and they they've been beaten. So you know, Stuart Littler, ex Swindon coach, now at Oldham. He's got to pick his players up after that defeat because that was a shock on, on Sunday evening. Yeah. Dan Abraham, uh, the Swinton player, kicked 14 conversions, a record equaling effort there. He's one, he's one of the players that stood out for me in that friendly for Swinton and you're hoping he can produce more uh, great performances through the season. Yeah, talented player, yeah. I remember his dad playing um, for Oldham and I think he managed Lee as well, didn't he? Um, I think his dad, was his dad Paul, Paul Abraham? I think he was called, yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah, he looked a talented player. And uh, I know he spent a bit of time at Rochdale Hornets as well. He's he's had a bit of time at some of the local sides. So um, he's going to be key for Swinton this season and, and their sort of challenge in, in, in League One. You know, they're one of the favourite sides to do well in that. Um, I know Keith Lecoug is one of the other sides that have been tipped and they got beat today in, in the cup against Hunslet. So, uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very, very competitive league, that. You know, League One, very, very exciting with Oldham and Rochdale in there as well. And some derby matches for them. So we're really looking forward to seeing how that pans out. But, yeah, Abram's going to be... Uh, be a, be a key key player for them, no doubt. Yeah, sad news that this weekend reached us, Paul. Uh, that well, rugby league legend Des Drummond uh, passed away, aged sixty-three. Uh, very, very good player in in his day. Um, you know, people used to watch him and really enjoy what what he did. And it's just sad that obviously he's passed away at this time. And our thoughts oh, and prayers are with his family. 
Yeah, shocking news really. I didn't know whether he was poorly or not, and he's he's no age really, only sixty three. But what a fantastic player! You know, his track record was absolutely tremendous. I don't remember him at Lee. He played at Lee from seventy six to mid eighties, mm-hmm. and his track record there was tremendous. I can remember him playing for Warrington in sort of the early nineties, and he was uh, he was tremendous. I think he won the Regal Trophy there at Warrington before he went to Workington Town. You know, great try record at Workington as well. And then he had a couple of spells with Charlie and I think Barrow, I think he finished his career up with. But he was a great Britain tourist as well and played, you know, 20 odd times for Great Britain. He's on the 84 tour. And you know, some of the tries he scored, he's. he's his pace was absolutely tremendous. I think he was on superstars as well. And somebody told me that I think he was in 84. He was that quick. His time in the hundred meters on there, he could have actually qualified to, to, to run in the Olympics. Um, he was that fast, you know, in the hundred meters. So super, super player, you know, some of the tries he's scored throughout his career and uh, quite a character as well. So the really sad news that, and as you said, thoughts and prayers with him and his family. Yeah. He ran 10.85 seconds, uh, Paul. Um, in in the superstars program uh, in 1983, and would have qualified, like you said, for the Olympic Games. So it shows how fast he was. Well, yeah, we talk about fast wingers, and I mean, I remember when I first started watching rugby, he was one of the players that was was playing as I said for Warrington, and you know, lightning quick. Like Martin, a fire quick, you know, he he was fast as well, wasn't he? You know, we had some tremendous, and we've got some tremendous wingers now, but you know, he's one that I can remember. You know, when players like that touch the ball. You know something's going to happen, don't you? Because he's electric, electric pace, and you know, fantastic to watch, and really, just really, really sad news that, and came as a shock to me when I heard that on the Saturday night. Yeah, like I said, well, our thoughts and prayers with his family at this uh, this sad time. So that's all the rugby league chat, and now I'm joined by James Sweeten from the Sweeten Salisbury podcast. James Red Sox, all things sporting, Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. And the first sport I'm going to be talking about with you is ice hockey. And Manchester Storm have had a phenomenal weekend, Rob, especially today, winning six-one. Talk us through it. Yeah, too good. Wins for Manchester Storm uh, this weekend, James. Uh, they beat Dundee away 4-3 on Saturday. A penalty shootout to win. They came back from 3-1 down. Goals from Frankie Mentor, Jared Warmer and Tyson Fawcett for the Storm. Um, very exciting game. Both sides playing some great ice hockey. And uh, you're hoping, obviously... The Storm fans really enjoyed that on the uh, on the Storm TV, and I'm sure there was a lot of excitement at the fans there and the people back at home. And then they backed it up with a win against Glasgow Clan at home at the Storm. Shortly won six one, uh, another fantastic win, playing great ice hockey and the crowd in the uh, the Storm shelter. James uh, making loads of noise and enjoying the moment. For you, Rob, which game was the more impressive? Because you've got that. Come back, that penalty shootout victory, full of drama, or the 6-1 shellacking? Which one entertained you the most? Well, I think, obviously, the, the 4-3 win away at Dundee shows the character this team has, has, has got. And you're kind of hoping uh, that, that they can build on that. Obviously, the, the win against uh, Glasgow, uh, off the back of it, confidence was high uh, in the players. Uh, and Ryan Finney's men uh, will be will be chuffed a bit. Chuffed a bit, obviously, the last two, two wins. After a few barren weekends of defeats, uh, to, to win two out of two, a four-point weekend, uh, will really excite the Storm faithful. 
obviously it's important to keep that momentum going. We've got a couple more fixtures this weekend. Talk us through them, Rob. Yeah, they play uh, Coventry Blaze on Saturday at home and then they travel to Coventry Blaze away on the Sunday. Um, both games are important. Coventry in the mix for a playoff spot uh, with the various other sides. And, um, you know, you're hoping that the Manchester Home can continue this good run of form after the two wins this weekend. They'll be full of confidence going into these next two. And if uh, they can beat Coventry Blaze, we'll excite the players bit of a psychological uh, blow as well it would be on, on Coventry if, if they can uh, if you can get a four point another four point weekend James so uh, looking forward to it Ryan Finney's men uh, will be ready and Ryan Finney himself been under, been under a bit of pressure in the last few weeks uh, and uh, obviously this two win weekend and going to Coventry uh, and playing them and we wanted to get another one coming up most certainly Robin what are your predictions for those two games I'm hoping for a for a four point weekend, James. Obviously, full of confidence after last week's uh, two wins. Um, we're hoping for another one to keep us that keep us on the front foot on that charge up to the uh, up the league into a playoff spot, and that's important for obviously Manchester Arm fans and and the squad. They've invested heavily in their squad, and to get back in the playoff mould uh, and be fighting for a spot in that area will come as uh, excitement for the Storm faithful. I'm sure they'll be there. There's 21 games to go, uh, James, in the season. So plenty of times, plenty of twists and, and turns to go in the, this season. And I'm sure Ryan Finney, as men, will be, uh, will be fired up, ready for wins to come. And Storm have been rocketing up the table, haven't they, Rob? Do you think they're in a position now where they're in the mix for a playoff spot? I do. I think it's a confidence game, isn't it, James? If you're getting uh, four-point weekends every weekend, you know, you suddenly start jumping up the table and it's important Manchester Storm string a few of these together. Sort of three, the last three or four weeks, they've, they've had a bit of a barren run uh, and is this the turning point in their season? Is this the point when Ryan Finney, his men, find the feet and go on a run? That's the important thing. That's the question the fans will be asking uh, and those on Solverset Radio will be with them every step of the way on this charge up the league. Yeah, we most certainly will, Rob. And now I think you're going to ask me a few questions about boxing because we've had a sensational week. Yeah, boxing, James. This weekend, we have one of the biggest fights of the year as Chris Eubank Jr. takes on Liam Williams. Is this fight gets dirty, who does it favour? It's a difficult one, this, Rob. I think it's an absolutely fantastic fight. Liam Williams, Chris Eubank Jr., fantastic styles, and these two men not like each other one bit. I think it's going to be a great display of violence. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be dirty. It's difficult to pick a winner right now, but the styles are more than going to gel. Chris Eubank Jr. probably operated at the slightly higher level. He's been in with the George Groses of these world. He's been in with the James DeGales. He's been in with the Billy Joe Saunders, and he's not won all those fights, but he's found a way to do it in, in most of his outings. And he has this relentless pace that he puts on people, and most people break under it. But I don't think Liam Williams will. I think he's a tough man. I think he's the slightly more skilled man. But there's something about Chris Eubank Jr. He's got this star quality, this aura that oozes out of him that makes you feel like he might just get the better of this, especially considering... He's had the advantage in the verbals, but Liam Williams, as I say, will give his absolute everything. And from a bookmaker's perspective, I've not looked at this, but personally, it's one of them where 
your head maybe says Liam Williams with a superior boxing skill. He should be able to walk through Chris Eubank Jr. And there's another part of you saying maybe maybe Eubank's the man to get the job done. So it's so difficult to call, but I don't think it's going the distance because they're going to be throwing bombs and I think somebody is going to get taken out. Who has who has had the better training situation? I don't think either men have had a great training situation, to be quite frank, Rob. Chris Eubank Jr. has moved to Roy Jones Jr., a slick boxer, and now probably going to be a fantastic trainer down the line. However, Roy Jones seems to be teaching Chris Eubank Jr. to fight like himself, and that's not what I like. I don't want to see Chris Eubank Jr. being a copycat Roy Jones because he doesn't fight in that style. He's not a natural slick boxer. He's a come-forward pressure fighter who lets his hands go. I don't think Eubank Jr. can fight in a slick way. That's why he's been outboxed by Billy Joe. That's why he was outboxed by George Groves. And I think at the age of, I think, 32 he is, it's too old to teach an old dog new tricks. I don't think he's going to turn it all around at this point in his career. So I fear that this style that he's in at the moment, he's sort of in between. One minute he's trying to box, the next minute he's trying to utilise what he naturally does best by coming forward. But Liam Williams sort of always does what he does, and he does it to a high standard which shocked me because I didn't necessarily see a need for him to move uh, the Ingalls in Sheffield because he was doing so well under them. And yes, he lost his last out into uh, Demetrius Andrade, but Andrade's a very tough operator. So the move shocked me. He's training with Adam Booth, and weirdly enough, we discussed this last week because Adam Booth is actually training Chris Eubank's cousin as well. So it's a bit strange to have to be training somebody to beat the cousin of a, of a man who's been there at the gym way before Williams. So very strange, but I'd say that Williams probably has a slightly better training situation. Boxing can be a funny old sport, James. It can be over in one punch or it can go into deep waters, as our fellow Sports Zone correspondent Paul Whiteside likes to say. Uh, what, what Do you think this fight will be a one-punch uh, uh, finish or do you think it will go all the way? Well, as we say, Paul Whiteside, our, our co-presenter uh, on this show, loves going into deep waters. And as we've seen in his fights, it, it very much favours him when he goes into those deep waters. He loves uh, taking those fights into the trenches, doesn't he? But moving on back to Williams and Eubank, they both like it in the trenches, Rob. And that's why I think this one's going to work so well, because they both like to go to war. I mean, when I say Williams is slicker, he is. He's been boxing a lot longer than Eubank, but that's not necessarily his style. He likes to come forward and let his bombs go. So I think it's going to go deep, this one. And I think they're going to trade punches. They're not the world's fiercest hitters. I mean, Eubank doesn't carry that much power. He's not feather-fisted by any means, but he's hardly Deontay Wilder. Liam Williams punches a little bit harder. Again, he's not like a one-punch knockout artist. I see the fight going just into the second half because I think they're going to come forward each other, let it all go. I mean, it just depends. I mean, if you, it depends how Eubank decides how this fight goes. Because if he fights in his normal way, it'll be entertaining, it'll be fantastic, and one man's going out. If he tries to box, it could get a little bit messier. So it really depends on him. Does this fight reach the masses out of the boxing bubble, James, do you feel? I hope so. Obviously, Eddie Hearn's left Sky Sports now, and he's operating with DAZN. Ben Shalom and the boxer promotion have taken over at Sky Sports. And they've had a horrid run today, not to any fault of their own. They've had some awful injuries uh, go down, and that's why they've had to pull cards. But they've got an amazing run this month, an absolutely sensational run, of Liam Williams versus Chris Eubank Jr. K 
Kellbrook versus Amir Khan. And then to top the month off, you've got Josh Taylor versus Jack Cattrall, which isn't officially theirs, but they're co-promoting it alongside top rank. So I think we've got a great month ahead. I think Chris Eubank Jr. is a bit of a crossover star. He's got a great dance partner in Liam Williams. Williams, not necessarily as big a draw as Eubank, although the fight is happening in Wales, and I think it'll sell out the motor point in Arena Air. I think there'll be about 6,000 people. But, I mean, this is more one for you to answer, Rob, because I've been discussing this fight today. They've got a massive grudge between them, and the press conferences have been interesting. But to you, is Chris Eubank Jr. a crossover star? In a way, James, yeah. You talk about the the feeling between the two fighters, and you know how it goes on off the off the off the ring, and and the 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 sledging, and 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 the you know the genuine hatred between the two fighters, and and that kind of thing kind of catches people's eyes. Has it? Has it? Have I seen that in in my normal life walking around? No, but is that because? people promoting it out putting it in my way or is it because uh, the the sort of the the theater of of the off uh, ring um coming together is it big enough to to provide a um, a bullet on the on the news at 10 i'm, I'm not sure uh, but yeah you, you've talked me into it you, you're saying it's, it could be a fight to remember so uh, i'm sure i would try and get in front of a telly or on front of the radio on uh, on weekends it's saturday night to, to to see who comes out victorious saturday night yeah rob and what i will say is this fight is on normal Sky Sports, which is an absolute blessing because for the past three or four years, every single big fight has been pay-per-view and you're having to fork out 20 quid to watch it and it's just a nightmare. This one is free of charge, so it's there for you. If you've got Sky Sports, get it watched. But to answer your question about promotion, it's difficult to say. Obviously, Ben Shalom's an experience compared to Eddie Hearn and Eddie was, of course, a monster promoter alongside his dad at Matchridge Sport. They know the game inside out. Ben Shalom's only just starting out. But you've got to hope that Sky Sports helped him out this week. And I hope, despite the fact it's not on pay-per-view, I hope they still promote it on Sky Sports News because that's the vehicle, isn't it, Rob? That's how you build every single big fight, Sky Sports News. And they only ever tend to utilise it when it's pay-per-view. I hope they take advantage of the fact that this is a big fight. It can attract viewers. So you've got to get it boomed on those news channels 24-7. The way you and Paul talk about these uh, off-the-ring uh, coming together, so it makes me wonder if wonder that ever these boxing fights that I've watched, these boxing pre-match uh, chats have always been uh, choreographed and none of it was real. It's difficult, isn't it, Rob? I think some of them, yes. Some of them are definitely fake. I mean, Jake Paul, sort of the YouTuber, he manufactures beef, and you've got to wonder how other fighters who maybe manufacture it, and some who play up to the pantomime. But I do think Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Williams dislike each other. I'm not going to say it's the biggest grudge in British boxing history, because I don't think it goes that far. I think Eubank's reveling in it. I think he quite likes the bad blood. I think he's entertained by it. It's almost jovial to him, a bit of a joke. Whereas to Liam Williams, it's a lot more serious. I think Liam Williams genuinely wants to punch Chris Eubank Jr. in the face. And it's going to be interesting to see how those emotions unfold on the night. Because obviously, it's always good to be a happy fighter. It's not necessarily good to fight in an emotional sense. So maybe that'll pay into a play rather into Eubank's hands. Money on the uh, cards on the line time, Jamie. Who wins it? It's difficult because. Chris Eubank Jr. has been extremely clever throughout his career at picking the right fights. 
he's only ever really stepped up when he had to fight George Groves and I suppose Billy Joe earlier on his career. But aside from that, he's very, very carefully picked his matches. Going into this before it was arranged, when Liam Williams was calling you back out, I was like, Williams, Williams will win this all day. When Newback actually took the challenge, it makes me almost feel he's seeing something in Williams that I'm not seeing. He's seeing a path to victory. So that sort of me makes it makes my head feel like he's going to find a way to do it. But I think common sense should indicate that Liam Williams gets the job done here. And we're going to be looking forward to it, James. It's going to be exciting. Um, one of the best boxers in the women's history features on the undercard. Uh, she'll be looking to impress, won't she? Yeah, Clarissa Shields, she'll be taking on Emma Cousin, and it's a great fight, making her UK debut the first time as a professional. She did fight in the amateurs at the Olympic Games back in 2012, but she's done a lot since then. An undisputed champion in two weight divisions, arguably the greatest women's boxer of all time. And she's brewing now, marinating towards a massive fight with Savannah Marshall. The, uh, well, I was going to say Jordy then, but she's from Hartlepool. Uh, to be specific, I think they'd be offended being called Jordy. I'm not entirely sure. If you're better at geography, Rob, you tell me. <laughs> but <laughs> Savannah Marshall, a great fighter, a massive puncher. And I actually think she beats Croatia Shields. I think she gets the job done. And it's a shame that she got injured because she would have been on this card as well. And it would have been a great way to sell it for a fight later down the line. But I'm hoping Croatia Shields can get the job done and she can sell it. She can go on the microphone. She can call out Savannah Marshall. Hopefully you get this over the line. Marshall, to my understanding, has always been keener on that fight than Shields, but now it's it, we are we are seeming to be going in that direction. I think that's the direction that Sky want to go in. It'll be a massive payday to both women, and I hope it gets done. Is there anything else to look forward for on the undercard? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of good fights. Chris Jenkins versus Julian Dongo is a good one, and Julius Dongo a bit of an enigma, really, because. I remember him winning a world title in Russia inside about five seconds with a stone-cold knockout. And then he unified those titles against Ricky Burns in Scotland. He schooled the Ricks to that night. So we thought he was a really good operator. And then he fights Terence Crawford, gets wiped out. Fair enough. Most fighters do. But then he looked useless against Progre. He's lost a couple more fights since. And he's fallen off the radar. So it's a big chance for Chris Jenkins to get a victory over a former unified world champion. In addition, Otto Wallen on the card against Kamil Sokolowski. Sokolowski, a better fighter than his record will suggest. He's been robbed a few times against the likes of David Price, Lucas Brown, and a few others. But Otto Wallen, for me, a world-level campaigner, so I think he'll get the job done. After years of arguing, Tyson Fury and Dillian, Pratt, Dillian White will finally get it on in the ring. Excited about that, James? I am, Rob. For me, this is a massive fight. The purse bids have finally been done. Frank Warren winning them with an absolutely massive bid of guess how much, Rob, to win the rights to this fight. <sighs> 15 million? 41 million. Wow. It's cost Frank Warren to win the rights to this fight. Breaking the world record for the highest ever bid at a purse bid. Eddie Hearn came in and bid 32 million, which would have would have broke the record had Warren not placed the winning bid. So that shows just how big a fight this is between Fury and White, and I'm really looking forward to it. Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, a slick mover, a significantly better technical boxer than Dillian White, and if he's at his best, the body snatcher will be chasing shadows. However, Fury's been through the absolute mill, hasn't he? That fight with Deontay Wilder is last out in that trilogy bout. There's no way that that hasn't taken years off his career. Taking those massive bonds from Deontay Wilder and getting up and make no bones about it. 
Dillian White hits like a freight train. Fury has a vulnerability to that left hook. So should Dillian White land, then Fury's going to sleep. And let's not forget that Dillian goes to the body very well. So that could be an issue for Fury. But if he focuses, if he stays at his best, he should be able to get the fight done. However, interesting point. Fury's very confident going into these matchups. He's the master of the mind. He likes to play with people's emotions and he dismantles them in that aspect. However, White put Fury down in sparring a few years ago, several times. So it'll be interesting to see how Fury copes psychologically because he is always so confident. Will he have demons going into this one? That's the question. Where does it leave Anthony Joshua? So originally, Tyson Fury had almost agreed to deal with Anthony Joshua. He was going to step aside and allow Fury and Alexander Usyk to fight for every single belt in the heavyweight division. They'd agreed a deal worth almost $15 million for Joshua simply to step aside and not even fight. Of course, this has caused a massive issue, Rob, within boxing fans. And I'll sort of finish my point and then I'll get back to a question for you. But Joshua wanted an extra $5 million. He wanted $20 million to step aside. Fury said no, we didn't want to give him that much money out of his purse, so now it looks like Joshua will have to fight Usyk. But going back to that point, Joshua requesting $20 million to step aside and not fight Usyk. He wanted $20 million in his pocket for not even getting in the ring. To you, Rob, how does that look? Does that look like a good business move? I mean, getting $20 million for doing nothing is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Or do you see it as being scared of Alexander Usyk, not being willing to get back in the ring with Usyk, avoiding that rematch? Well, he don't want to get back in the ring, does he? And for, for me, my view, um, he, he knows if he loses to, to Usyk, then he's done. So for him not to fight him means that he's still in the mix for the fight against Tyson Fury. Would that, would that be right to say that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And... I thought originally Anthony Joshua was going to go up to China, have a warm-up against Lee Zhang, because he still needs a new training. Uh, he still needs a new training team and a new coach. He's not got any of that sorted yet. Mm. But it's looking like he's going to run out of time because he's not going to get that warm-up now. And maybe asking for that additional $5 million has cost him. Uh, however... Possibly, possibly James. And obviously, you know, looking at it, uh, do, do Fury or Joshua really want to fight the most skilled operator in the division? You know, because obviously, if they are beaten, then obviously it takes that kind of edge off their uh, profile. Yeah, I mean, the risk is here, even if Joshua had taken that step-aside deal and allowed Fury to fight Usyk, there's no guarantee that Fury beats Usyk. Mm. I mean, we sort of go into every single Tyson Fury fight now thinking it's almost a foregone conclusion that he wins, and it's not. These other heavyweights are fantastic operators, and nobody has solved the Usyk puzzle. Likewise, nobody solved the Fury puzzle. The boats basically Rubik's cubes, aren't they? It's like cracking the Da Vinci Code to beat these two <laughs> men. But we don't know which one of those two would win, do we? So you, the whole big British super fight is being thrown up into thin air by this Ukrainian wizard who can't seem to drop around. So it's extremely difficult to see how this all works out because I don't think Joshua beats Usyk in the rematch. I mean, I give him more of a chance than a lot of people because people are writing him off and Joshua still hits very hard. But he is in a spot of trouble here, Joshua, because he's got to find himself out the loop. Another Joshua Usyk, the third of his career. And is he still selling out Wembley? Is he still this massive draw? It's a good question, James, but I know that when there's puzzles involved in the Adventure Code, Tom Hanks is the man. 
He is the man, yeah. Uh, he solved that curl beautifully well, didn't he, in the, uh, in the first <laughs> Da Vinci Girl film. I've not seen the sequel yet. I've been meaning to get around to that for quite a long time. I don't know about you, Rob, but yeah, uh, Woody from Toy Story is excellent at cracking codes. <laughs> Obviously, talking in other codes as well, James, there's been a massive uh, fight made in the Superfly division as well. Uh, talk us through that. They have Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Estrada. We're meant to be going into their trilogy, but I've got a record of saying this trilogy is a bit of a bit of a sham in itself because really Chocolatito's won both of those fights. He was robbed in the last one. But Julio Cesar Martin is stepping up due to the fact that Estrada had COVID. I'm terrified going into this. Yes, Chocolatito is such a storied operator, such a great operator, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, to ever lace up the pair of glutes. And if he was bigger than Seven Strong Wrong, believe you me, he'd be an absolute superstar. It's only his size that's held him back in terms of becoming a pop cultural icon. But Martinez is so young, so fresh, so aggressive, and Chocolatito's getting on. So my fear going into this is, is that Martinez is going to young man him a little bit. So that scares me. But Chocolatino is one of my men, one of my favourite fighters. And I hope there's some sort of a way he can still get the job done. Jake, Paul has made a massive business move this week. Uh, talk us through it. And is Alan Sugar involved? Uh, yes. So uh, if you've been watching The Apprentice for the last 12 weeks, Jake Paul has won that show. So him and Lord Shocker are looking to invest in the UFC. But on a serious note, Jake Paul has invested within UFC stock. And what he's planning on doing is bringing in fighter healthcare and upgrading fighter pay. It's commonly known in the UFC that the fighter pay isn't great. I mean, Tyson Fury, for his next out against Dillian White, is going to get paid 64 more times more then the UFC champion of the world got paid for his last start. And so that's how big the pay disparity is. And believe you me, the money those two fights are generating aren't as big a difference as 64 times. But going back to the point of Jake Paul, he's had such a frosty relationship with the president, Dana White, who has gone on record as not particularly wanting to bribe the health fighters with healthcare. And Rob, from an outsider, how does this look to you? Because surely the company should be providing healthcare on their own. It shouldn't be up to a YouTuber to come in and do this. Yeah, but I suppose Jake Paul has the spotlight at the moment, doesn't he? So he has to use that profile to get what the fighters deserve. Um, does does the UFC need to improve that area of the sport? It sounds like they do, James. So for him to come and challenge uh, the operators of the sport and say, "Look, we need better healthcare. We need more money uh, for our for our you know health and and to be looked after better," is is a good move for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Jake Paul, of course, has caused a massive stir in the fight sports world. Of course, coming from YouTube and into boxing, and he's riled a lot of people up. And do I think he's got a genuine interest in looking after the fighters? I don't. Uh, I think he's doing it to wind up Dana White to get under the UFC's skin. However, regardless of what his real motive is, it's still going to benefit fighters if he can get something done. And to answer your question, Rob. The UFC do need to improve the fight of healthcare. It's not good enough. I mean, in other sports, they have better medical care. And in a sport like MMA, when you're getting punched in the face, there can be long-lasting brain damage there. Mm. CTE and health scares like that. So the fact that there's nothing there to help these fighters post-career, it's dangerous. The World Cruiserweight Champion has released a rap song in which he slates uh, the YouTuber. Um, is it going to be a uh, number one hit, James? 
uh, potentially in Latvia, where Marius Braders is from, because he's a bit of a national hero out there. But it's strange for me, Rob. I mean, Marius Braders doesn't particularly need the profile boost. I don't think this is doing massive things to inject. Paul hasn't acknowledged him. And for me, he sh- as a world champion, you should be focusing in it on the other world champions to try and unify those belts. He's never going to get the Jake Paul fight, so I'm not sure why he's going on and on and on about it. I just find it confusing to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, final bit of boxing uh, chat, James. There's been a massive clash between two of the fights on the 30th of April. Uh, the promoters of one of the, these bouts have made some very controversial remarks. Uh, what were they? Yeah, so we've got two massive bouts on that day. On ESPN, with top-ranked promotions, we've got Oscar Valdez versus Shakur Stevens. Stevenson rather the WBC and the WO titles in that division two undefeated fighters looking to unify those belts on the other side in New York City Eddie Hearn and Dizone are promoting Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor one of the greatest fights in women's boxing Bob Arum the promoter of the men's fight has said that his fight would have significantly better ratings because nobody cares about women's boxing this has caused a bit of a stir people kicking off I mean I think the Vardis-Stevenson fight will do better numbers because it's on ESPN because I think ESPN is a better platform than zone. But as for the fights itself, even if they were on similar platforms, I think it'd be a close contest for what does the better viewing because Taylor's a bit of a sensation in Ireland. Uh, Serrano's now associated under that Jake Paul label. So I think it's a big fight in its own right. And whether Aaron, what Aaron's saying is true or not, I mean, he promotes female fighters, so I don't know whether he should be saying that. And we're going to be talking all about it on the Sports Zone in the next uh, few weeks and months to come, James. And let's talk uh, football now. We'll start with uh, Salford City. Uh, they were defeated 1-0 away at Northampton uh, this week. Tenth in the league, five points off the playoffs. Uh, Gary Bowyer's men uh, really need to find a gear to get up the table. Yeah, they do. I mean, I know they beat Barrow uh, 2-0 and that was a good victory. And then they went into the North, this Northampton game that was always going to be tougher. Losing 1-0. They're in 10th place and they've got a couple of crunch games this week. I mean, they've got the Carlisle game at home and that's one they should win. Carlisle standing at 20th in the table. And then they've got a much more important game against Port Vale, who are ninth. And there's two points between those two teams. So if Salford win that, they'll go into ninth place. So a massive game, Rob. Yeah, two big games for Gary Bowyer's men. He's been busy in the transfer market. He's signed uh, Matty Smith, a uh, centre-forward from Millwall, on an 18-month contract, 32 years old. Uh, James is hoping that his goals will fire the Amis forward. You're very much hoping so. I mean, he's been a massive addition so far. You're expecting him... Well. He's, 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 been, he's, he's going to be a massive addition so far. We're expecting that. He's a great player and we're hoping that throughout the rest of the season he'll be bagging goals for fun. Yeah. Tom Elliott, uh, the Amis centre forward, he's left and gone to Bradford. Uh, obviously, with the way the transfer window works, there's people coming, people going. So, obviously, Elliott decided to leave and go to Bradford to try and further his career. Yeah, it's one of them, and you can't begrudge your player for trying to further his career. It'll be sadly missed, but you've got to celebrate and clap somebody on to better opportunities, haven't you, as and when they come up? Yeah, uh, obviously our other two uh, local sides, Man City and Man United, were in action this week because they decided to have a uh, sort of a winter break. Um, you know, what do you feel about that, James? Obviously, winter breaks, two weeks, we don't know football, strange that. 
I don't think it's needed particularly, Rob, is it? I mean, I remember playing football at school, rugby at school, etc. And they have you going out in all weather, don't they? So I don't see why Premier League footballers need a winter break. But I mean, it is what it is. Uh, just to get it very quickly out the way, uh, we're aware of the Mason Greenwood story. There's not too much we can say on it at the time, other than the fact that the Greater Manchester Police are dealing with it. And hopefully, hopefully the truth comes out in, uh, in, in due time. But yeah, a, a difficult story to hear about and some harrowing stuff associated with it. But we've got a couple of big games, haven't we, coming up this week now, Rob. Middlesbrough, Fulham, a, a big, of course, an FA Cup game against Middlesbrough. And we expect to win that and we should beat Fulham as well. Yeah, obviously two big games uh, for Manchester United, Jane, especially with everything going on off the field. It's important that uh, Ralph Ranrick and his men remained focused. Obviously, with the transfer window uh, seeming to shut shortly, uh, there's, there's speculation uh, with, that Donny van der Beek uh, and Phil Jones may be departing the club on loan, one to Everton, one to Bordeaux. Uh, do you think that it's a good idea to let the two go at this point? I mean, with Phil Jones, Rob, it's almost sad, isn't it? Because he came back against Wolves and put in a fantastic performance, didn't he? I mean, even Real Ferdinand was willing to give Phil Jones a bit of credit after the amount of time he spent criticising him. So I wanted him to build on that momentum, but it seems that he's not going to get the opportunity to do that. Do you think he'll have a better opportunity to get back into the swing of high-level football at another club? I think it's good for him that he gets game time. Is he is he finished at United? It kind of depends how well he does. Uh, obviously, Chris Smalling went to Roma, played very well, but then decided to stay at Roma. So it's a kind of thing that if you do perform well away from Old Trafford, do you go back into the Lions' den and, and, and try and re- resurrect your career, or will uh, living in in France, uh, you know, be the be the difference? Will will that inspire me and think, well, I'm having I'm enjoying my football away from the pressure of Old Trafford. Uh, I might as well stay where I am. I mean, potentially, Rob, when you look back at the potential that Phil Jones had, because when he signed from Blackburn, we were expecting him to be a world-level player, one of the greatest on the planet. He hasn't quite reached the peak of that. When you reflect on Phil Jones's career, do you think he's underachieved? I think Alex Ferguson put a lot of pressure on him comparing to comparing him to Duncan Edwards when he first started. Um, I think he was a, a, a valuable squad member. Injuries, lack, lack of lack of form uh, has has been an, an issue as well. Um, but is he is he good enough to play for Manchester United now? He's kind of a throwback to the glory days of of us winning stuff. So his mentality there, but is he physically fit enough to be able to 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 you know command a, a a place in this team. It's it's interested. Probably not, but I am happy to eat my words if he goes to Bordeaux and uh, plays like a like a um, you know retro Maldini. We'll have to wait and see. Other players who may be on the move: Donny Van der Beek on his way to Everton, uh, possibly in the transfer window. That'd be a good move for him. Yeah, I mean it would be, wouldn't it? He's probably not overly happy with what's been going on at Manchester United at the moment. So maybe this would be the move for him. But just looking at some other news. From the week, Rob. Uh, Emmanuel Adebayor has made a huge statement about Thierry Mikobanriang, of course, who's fallen out of favour at Arsenal. Started the season so fantastically. One of the first players, well, the quickest ever player to hit 50 goals for the Gunners. And he's the team captain. And then after a few disciplinary issues, that captaincy gets stripped. And now it looks like he's on the way out. There's a Saudi Arabian team who seem to be after him. He, he personally would like to leave for Juve. And Emmanuel Adebayor has slated the treatment of him. And he said that the Arsenal fans never forgive. Looking back at everything that happened with Emmanuel Adebayor, did he deserve forgiveness? Because, of course, he, he did that 
fantastic goal and then knee-slided after running the whole length of the pitch in front of the Arsenal fans in one of the most iconic Premier League moments that I've ever seen. But of course, things went on behind the scenes. First, know that his relationship with Arsene Wenger was pretty bad. He claims that Wenger made comments about him leaving that weren't necessarily true. And do you think Ambarayo is doing the right thing by stepping up and you know saying what he has about Aubameyang? Well, I suppose Adebayo kind of took the took the, uh, the the pot of gold by going to Man City, and he was kind of in a an area where. Man City were trying to find the right formula. He never really hit the heights that he did against uh, did when he played for for Arsenal. Uh, Abamyang always interested me. Abamyang, I thought he could have been something special at Arsenal, but never really kind of hit the heights of uh, of previous uh, you know seasons. And you know, if he is on his way, I'm sure Arsenal and Arteta will have ideas for re- replacements. Um, obviously, in this transfer window, there's there's options. I think obviously we've, we've with United, you know, players leaving possibly like the likes of Jesse Lingard going to Newcastle uh, for twelve million pound. Um, it kind of it concerns me that there's lots going out and not many coming in. Uh, I mean, Diallo's got a Rangers on loan as well. Um, so you, you've got to think, yeah, you, you've got to keep a, a decent size of squad, James. Um, but it's a bit of an interesting position at the moment. I mean, at the start of the season, we had that amazing transfer window, bringing in Cristiano Ronaldo bringing in Rafael Varane, bringing in Jadon Sancho. At the halfway point of the season, how do you think those three men have done? Um, yeah, they've, they've, done, they've done all right, James. I'm obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo um, is is an icon um, and Varane is, is, is a decent you know, centre-half. Uh, do, do, are they going to take Manchester United to the title? Uh, no, but... We're hoping they'll get more investment and more reinforcements in the next sort of weeks and months and years to come. And obviously, with about a minute, 50 seconds to go, James, do you think that they've, they've, they've done enough? Sort of, Rob, sort of. And this is going to be a very short question for you to finish it off the show. <laughs> uh, an Australian player, 15 years of age, bagged an incredible goal. So for you, Rob, finish the question. Who's the most talented teenager you've ever seen play? Most talented teenager I've ever seen play would be Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney was tremendous when he was at Everton. Uh, and when he came to Old Trafford, he he, led, he set it alight. And, you know, it's difficult with, with teenagers. They need to be nurtured uh, and and brought forward because obviously they can be uh, sort of finished like the likes of Michael Owen started young and, and sort of drifted and you're hoping they can find a way uh, to, to to make these youngsters grow uh, and uh, big thanks for tuning into this week's Sports Zone on Soul City Radio I'm Rob Parkson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat